Now, just about then, his best friend in the whole wide world, Br'er Rabbit. But you boys better be getting home now, because it's getting mighty dark out there, and you don't want to be in nursery rhyme land at night, do you? We love stories! It's time for the apple seed, filled with stories for you and your family. All kinds of tales from all kinds of tellers. I'm Sam Payne, your host. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you every time that you bring these stories into your home and into your heart. And it's going to be a great hour today. You know, we all know that there are types of characters in stories. You, know, you can point out often the hero in a story or the villain in a story. Well, we're going to concentrate on a couple of character types today that are fun to think about and fun to hear stories about. One of them is the trickster, and the other one is the fool. <laughs> and we're going to start off with Sheila Stark's Phillips story, Br'er Possum and the Frogs, a story in which Br'er Possum has to hatch a clever plot in order to get some yummy frogs for dinner. And we'll enjoy an entry in the Radio Family Journal about uh, a memorable conversation with a neighbor while we were painting a room in my house. And speaking of conversations, we'll have a great one with the wonderful storyteller and songwriter Susan Reed. We'll talk with her about a song of hers that is going to the moon, a song called Earth Song, and we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on in the hour. We'll hear a story from Judith Heinemann called The Wise King of Uruk and the Foolish King of Arata. And we'll even hear a fun little thing from Kevin Cordy's storytelling team of kids called Mysteries in Nursery Rhyme Land. That's all coming up on today's episode of The Appleseed. And to introduce us to the first story that we're going to hear today, I'm pleased to be joined in the studio by Alyssa Mingurance, one of our assistant producers. Alyssa, it's great to have you with me. Hi, Sam. Let's talk a little bit about Sheila Starks Phillips. Great tall tale teller from Texas. Absolutely. And we're going to get a little of that, aren't we? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Uh, in this tale, it's uh, Br'er Possum and his best friend, Br'er Rabbit. You've probably heard of him before. <laughs> uh, and in this story, um, uh, Br'er Possum goes down and looks for frogs every day that his wife will bring back and cook up for him. But the only problem is that Br'er Possum is getting a little old <laughs> and it's getting a little harder every day to catch those frogs. Yeah, harder yeah. to catch those quick little critters. But there's a way, isn't there? Uh, there's always a way, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite things about the story, too, is that it's interactive. This is from the world of Br'er Rabbit. These yes trickster tales and uh, they come from I mean they have their roots in, in well, there, there are trickster tales all over the world right? Mm -hmm. and Br'er Rabbit is one of those characters that you've got Anansi the spider in West Africa and you've got other trickster characters even even Jack is a little bit of a trickster in your average Jack tale right and here you'll get a, a, a story that's kind of from that same world of trickster tales absolutely and, don't we love them yeah and as you say a little audience participation never heard a story at all, right? Mm-hmm. Here we go with Sheila Starks Phillips and Br'er Possum and the Frogs here on the Appleseed. Boys and girls, this is a story about old Br'er Possum and his best friend in the whole wide world, Br'er Rabbit. And I'm going to need you to help me with this. Every time I say the word frog, I want you to make a frog sound. Can you do that? Can you go ribbit, ribbit, 
Ribbit, try it out. I knew that you could. Here we go now. No possum went down to the pond one day, uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond one day, uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond one day, down where the froggies like to play, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You see, old Br'er Possum loved to eat frogs better than anything else in the whole wide world. And he would take his frog sack down to the pond every single day, and he would load that sack full of frogs, and then he'd take it home to Ms. Possum, and she was a cook like no other, and she could fix frog any way that you could think of. Why, she fixed fried frog and broiled frog and fricasseed frog and barbecue frog and frog pie and frog cake and frog ice cream. Why, she could fix frog tacos and frog burritos and frog enchiladas. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Miss Possum was one fine cook. Mmm, mmm. Well, on this particular day, old Possum went down to the pond that day. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day, uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day, down where the froggies like to play, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But you see, what happened on this day was Possum was sort of getting old, and he didn't move nearly as fast as he used to. And those frogs heard him coming. They had hopped into the pond, and they were peering over the surface of the water with those big old bug eyes saying terrible things like, You can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. You can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. And it was true. He couldn't. He did not catch a single frog that day. So on the way home, he had to stop at the garbage dump and fill his frog sack full of garbage. He took that home to Miss Possum, and he turned it over to her. Well, she did the best she could. She fixed some garbage soup and some garbage salad that night for dinner, but it is no way for a possum to have to live. Now, the next day, Possum got up, and old Possum went down to the pond that day. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day, down where the froggies like to play, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Once again, those frogs all heard him coming. They hopped into the ponds, peered at him over the surface of the water with those big old bug eyes, said those terrible things like, Boom, you can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Boom, you can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. And it was true, he couldn't. Well, he was so depressed, so he sat down on the side of the bank and put his head in his paw, and he was sad and sorrowful. Now, just about then, his best friend in the whole wide world, Br'er Rabbit, came strutting out of the bushes. You know how Br'er Rabbit struts just everywhere he goes. And he saw his friend looking so sad and sorrowful, and he said, "'Why, good morning there, Br'er Possum.' You're looking a little sad and sorrowful today. What seems to be the matter? And Br'er Possum said, Oh, Br'er Rabbit, you know how I love to eat frogs better than anything else in the world. But I've gotten old. I don't move as fast as I used to. 
And those frogs, well, they all hear me coming, and they all hop into the pond before I can get here, and they peer at me over the surface of the water with those big old bug eyes, and they say terrible things to me like, Nanny, Nanny, Boo Boo, you can't catch us. And it's true, I can't catch them. I've been having to take my frog sack and fill it up with garbage on the way home, and goodness knows Miss Possum does her best, but it is no way for a possum to have to live. Now, Br'er Rabbit was a very smart and clever fellow, and he thought about this for a moment or two, and then he said, I know what you can do. Now, you listen to me. And he leaned over and began to whisper in Br'er Possum's ear. And then he backed up and said, Okay, Br'er Possum, you meet me here in the morning and we'll see what happens. And he went on home. Well, Br'er Possum got his frog sack, started home. He did have to stop at the garbage dump on the way home and fill it full of garbage. And he took it home to Miss Possum. Well, that night she fixed some garbage enchiladas and a little garbage salad to go with it. And he hoped it would be the last time he would ever have to eat garbage. Now, the next morning, old Br'er Possum is up at the crack of dawn. He gets him two brand spanking new frog sacks. And then old Possum went down to the pond that day, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day, uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Possum went down to the pond that day, down where the froggies like to play, Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. Sure enough, just like the days before, those frogs heard him coming. They all hopped into the pond, peered over the surface of the water with those big old bug eyes, said those terrible things like, Boom, you can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. Boom, you can't catch us, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. And it was true, he couldn't. Well, old Br'er Possum began to walk up and down the side of the pond when all of a sudden he grabbed his chest and he said, Oh my, I think I'm having a heart attack. And he did a little spin around and fell flat out on the ground. And those frogs, those frogs said, You'll never, never, never catch us now. Just about then, Br'er Rabbit came strutting out of the bushes and saw his friend there on the ground. Oh, my goodness, Br'er Possum, you are dead. And those frogs said, Boop, you'll never, never, never catch us now, nanny, nanny, boo-boo. And Br'er Rabbit said, Oh, you frogs, how could you be, how could you be so insensitive? I mean, this is my best friend in the whole wide world. I loved him with all my heart. How will I ever bury him all by myself? And those frogs said, Boop, we can help. Boop, we can help. Would you? Br'er Rabbit said. Well, that'd be mighty neighborly of you. Well, come on out here then and bring your little shovels with you. And those frogs all hopped out of the pond, brought little old shovels with them, and they began to help dig a grave for poor old dead Br'er Possum. Well, they dug, and they dug, and they dug, and then they said, Gloop, is it deep enough yet? Gloop, is it deep enough yet? And Br'er Rabbit said, I don't know. Can you hop out? And all those frogs hopped right out of that hole. Br'er Rabbit shook his head and said, 
No, it's not quite deep enough. You better get back in there and dig some more. So they all hopped back in, and they began to dig and dig and dig. And then they said, Boom, is it deep enough yet? Boom, is it deep enough yet? And Br'er Rabbit said, I don't know. Can you hop out? And all of those frogs hopped right out of that hole. And he shook his head and said, No, sir, it's not quite deep enough. I suspect you better get back in that hole and dig a little bit more. So those frogs all hopped back in the hole, and they began to dig and dig and dig. And then they said, Boom, is it deep enough yet? Boom, is it deep enough yet? And Br'er Rabbit said, I don't know. Can you hop out of the hole? Well, they tried. They'd take a big old hop, get almost to the top, and slide back down that mud. They'd take another big old hop, get almost out. Couldn't quite. They'd slide back down in that mud. They could not get out of that hole. And Br'er Rabbit said, Well, yes, sir. I think it's plenty deep enough now. What do you think? Br'er Possum, and all of a sudden Br'er Possum's eyes popped open and he hopped to his feet and said, Yes, sir, I think it's plenty deep enough. And he grabbed his frog sack and began to throw those frogs in his frog sacks. And the frog said, Boop, he ain't dead. Boop, he ain't dead. He filled two big old sacks full of frogs. He shook his friend Br'er Rabbit's hand and said, Now you come on to my house for dinner tonight because there's going to be a feast. And he ended up inviting all the little critters of the forest to come to dinner that night. And oh my, what a feast they had. He turned those sacks full of frogs over to Miss Possum and she fixed boar frog and broer frog and barbecued frog and frog fricasseed and frog cake and frog ice cream and, and frog just every way that you could ever think of in your whole life. And they ate and ate and ate until they had their fill and maybe a little bit more. And she still had so many frogs left over. She put them in a big old Tupperware container. She burped the lid put it in the freezer, and they had enough frog to last them until the next spring. And by that time, there was a whole new batch of frogs that did not know how possum could play possum. Uh-huh. You did a great job, boys and girls. I could almost hear you making that frog sound from where I'm sitting. One thing I need to tell you, though, about possums Possums really do love to eat garbage. Maybe you've seen them around your house, around your neighborhood, because possums really do love to eat garbage. Uh huh. Rare Possum and the Frogs, a story told for you by Sheila Starks Phillips. I'm listening to it not only with you, but with Alyssa Mingorance, one of our assistant producers. Alyssa, I'll tell you, as soon as they, as soon as that story begins with that music, mm-hmm. I think we're in for a great Sheila Starks Phillips of experience. Of course, right? yeah, it's immediate, yeah. <laughs> I, I think the part that I love about this story is I think everyone's life is better when they have someone in it who's a really good cook. <laughs> You know, your life immediately just improves tenfold. Uh, And for me, that's my spouse. um, And they are a fantastic cook. And I remember before we were married and I had just come out to uh, Utah for college. And um, 
I was really missing home. And in particular, I was missing Brazilian food because my father's from Sao Paulo. And so I kind of grew up with that. And it was really hard to find good Brazilian food in Utah. Who, who would know, right? <laughs> and so I was just feeling a little bit homesick. And I remember uh, he invited me over uh, to his place. And so I came over and I walked in the door and I immediately recognized the smells oh, in, in the apartment. Yeah. And sure enough, he had made my favorite dish. He had made feijoada with rice and saladinha. And I was so happy. And I will never forget, like, what a difference just good food will make. Oh, uh, that's a person you should marry. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, done. <laughs> done. <laughs> you know, when Sheila Starks Phillips started off that story and invited the audience, she called mm-hmm. them boys and girls, right? She said, uh, make make the, make the a frog sound. Mm-hmm. Then she went on to sort of model the frog sound just by saying ribbit, ribbit. But there mm-hmm. was this moment between when she said, make a frog sound, and when she modeled the ribbit, ribbit sound that I thought, I wonder what frog sound I would make. And I, <laughs> I, I tried that. a few of them on, and uh, <laughs> Ribbit Ribbit's probably the most successful. <laughs> well, I want to hear all of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what a pleasure to hear that story by Sheila Starks Phillips. And Alyssa, thanks for joining me here. Always, Sam, always. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's such a pleasure for me to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. If you're just joining us, a moment ago, we listened along with Alyssa Mingurance, one of our assistant producers, to a terrific story told for you by tall tale teller Sheila Starks Phillips, a story called Brer Possum and the Frogs. And there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. You're going to hear uh, a story called The Wise King of Uruk and the Foolish King of Arata in a little bit. But first, because we know that the sharing of memories can sometimes be the spark that ignites a story for you to share with the people that you love around the kitchen table or the living room. Here's uh, an entry in the Radio Family Journal, a memory of mine, about a conversation with a neighbor while we were painting our house, a conversation that I've remembered for a long time. The Radio Family Journal with Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. A long time ago, I moved into a house that needed a little work. Needed a lick of paint, for sure, and some plants in the yard and a new mailbox. And, well, you know how it is moving into a new house. And into the picture came a neighbor. His name was Tory Hammond, and he himself was moving away from the neighborhood, headed off to California to hang his shingle as a brand new dentist. Notwithstanding, he gathered all the guys in the neighborhood and had them waiting in our front yard to help as we pulled up in the moving van. That was after he and his wife, Haley, came over long enough to help us paint the upstairs bedroom. That's how we met him, in fact. I'll remember that gesture for a long time, I think. But there's something else I'll remember about Tory, something he said once, and I hope I can repeat it here in just the right way. We were rolling out paint on the walls of our new place, shooting the breeze about our respective childhoods, And a sort of thoughtful grin came over his face, and he said, You know, I'm thankful that my parents understood how dumb I was when I was a teenager. Well, it took me a second to process that. 
I don't know many teenagers who would say that they're thankful that their parents know how dumb they are. And frankly, I know a lot of teenagers who, to put it simply, aren't all that dumb. And I'd have pegged Tori as one of those. But whether because I was a teenager once upon a time or because I'm a dad now, I understood exactly what Tori was saying. He was expressing thanks for the fact that his parents were patient with him. Thanks that his parents understood that they'd probably have to repeat instructions more than once. And thanks that they diligently and unswervingly did so. I find myself remembering Tori's comment right at the moment when I'm about to blow my stack at my own kid for putting off reading his 200-page book until 10 o'clock on the night before the report is due. I remember Tori's comment at the moment when I'm about to roll my eyes at the child who remembers on Sunday morning that he has left his church shoes at school after the school play was over. And Tori's comment takes me back in my mind to when I was 14 and having been asked to be home from the winter dance by 10, wondering what harm could there be if I were home by 12. I mean, it was only two hours, right? What's two hours? And then my dad, walking quietly into the formal dance in his moon boots and Michelin man parka, and sitting down next to the wall until I was done dancing with the cute girl from Riverton, and then quietly driving me home without conversation, beyond him telling me that he was glad I was safe. Tori's comment takes me back in my mind to the time in junior high, when the police escorted my friends and me home on our bikes at two in the morning, having caught us toilet-papering the city park, idiots us, and Dad rubbing the sleep from his eyes and sitting across me in his bathrobe, asking me softly if I remembered that our neighbor, the kind and quite elderly Mr. McDaniel, who worked for the city and who sat behind us in church, would be the one who had to clean that toilet paper up the next morning. In his mind, he must have been screaming, What a dolt! Doesn't this kid have a lick of sense? But since he already knew I was an idiot, he just patiently did what it took to help me get it right. That's the wrong way to say that, maybe, but for heaven's sake, it's true. When Tory Hammond said he was thankful that his parents understood how dumb he was, I began to open my mouth in protest. But in the end, all I could say was, Amen, brother. Thank heaven for parents who, in the face of our crazy decisions, help us make it through life, not with the scoffing we probably deserve sometimes, but with patience and even with love. The Radio Family Journal of Sam Payne, a tiny little story for you and your family, right when you need it, on the Appleseed. Thanks for joining me for that entry in the Radio Family Journal. You know, we always hope that the stories that we bring you here on the show spark memories and thoughts for you that you can share with the people that you love. That kind of storytelling is really where the storytelling rubber meets the storytelling road and can make for memories that last a lifetime. Sharing stories with each other helps us know that we're not alone, that we're all members of the same community of human beings. And there's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. You're going to hear a story told for you by a little team of kids under the supervision of storyteller and story teacher Kevin Cordy. But first, how about a conversation with a friend? 
great stories come into our lives in so many ways, through the films that we see, the books that we love, the songs that we remember, the meals that we share, and of course, the telling of tales from teller to listener passed down sometimes over generations. And talking about some of the ways in which those stories take shape in our lives is something that we love to do with friends here on The Appleseed. And I'm thrilled to be joined in conversation by the wonderful award-winning songwriter and storyteller, Susan Reed. Susan, it's such a pleasure to have you with me. Thank you for having me. I'm always delighted to be here. You know, I have to tell you, I am a I'm an outer space fan. It started when I was a, a, a little kid. I was in sixth grade and the media center specialist, that's what we called the librarian for a brief period of time when I was in elementary school, called us all out into the media center, which was what we called the library, rolled a big cart out in front of us all. And on top of that cart was a television set. And on that television set with rabbit ears for antenna, we watched the first flight of the, we watched the takeoff of the space shuttle Columbia. And I was kind of hooked and, and stories about outer space really reach me. I don't know anything. I'm just a fan, you know, and uh, and you you've you've got work that interacts with outer space in kind of an interesting way. Well, indeed, I do. Uh, I write stories to educate my children and start yeah. conversations. Absolutely. Um, but I have a song, Earth Song, which I'm very excited. It's on its way to the moon in 2022 for real it's it's a very it's going up as part of an archive of, of civilization which the, with the arch mission um project uh so i'm very excited about that just, that's just incredible that's that's just incredible i gotta say it's pretty fantastic because i wrote this song to teach my kids about their place in space yeah. so um you know being a young parent everything changes, right? You're getting up at the crack of dawn and exhausted. And traditions that used to be strongholds suddenly have a need to change. So gone were the days where my husband and I felt like going out to a New Year's Eve party. Uh, and instead, we were just going to bed at the same time as the kids and waking up at the crack of dawn on New Year's Day. So we decided to shift our family celebration. Uh, in the Boston area, you will note that the sun rises at 7.13 in the morning, which is actually no problem for a parent of small kids, because, of course, we're up at 5 a.m. for sure every day. You say so, so late, decided... so late, the sun comes so late. <laughs> I know, it really does. So what we started to do is we'd go to bed early on New Year's Eve, and we'd wake up very early, New Year's Day, and we'd pack the kids up in their snowsuits. And, you know, by the time you get the third kid zipped up, one of them has to go to the bathroom and you got to start all over again. You know the routine. <laughs> but it was still dark and we'd get in the car, get everybody in their car seats, and we'd drive to the beach, which is only about 10 minutes from our house. And we would park right up by, by the ocean and we would wait. And first the sky would turn this gray color and the kids would say, it's happening, it's happening, it's time. You know, and so we'd pile out of the car and we'd wait a long time because that's not even close to when the sun rises. <laughs> so we'd all get back in the car because it's freezing cold. Uh, and then the sky would eventually turn yellow and then orange and red. And usually when it was at such a brilliant red, you couldn't stand it anymore. That was the time. 
So we would all get out on the beach and we would wait for that special moment when the sun would just pop over the horizon and we would all stay and watch it until it became a full orb, you know, full globe there in the sky. So uh, it was a wonderful tradition. And one of the years, um, my youngest, Allison, who was six years old, she turned to us and she said, well, where is it coming from? Where is the sun rising from? And we were explaining how it wasn't that the sun was rising so much as it was the earth was turning into the sun. And so we got into this huge discussion about how it all works and and it and it led to, you know, diagrams in the sand, that kind of thing. And then afterwards, you know, we took our picture of the sunrise, we jumped in the car, and we would always then drive to downtown Boston because they have a huge New Year's Eve celebration where they have ice sculptures everywhere. So we would be cruising through at 7.30 in the morning, no people to be found, but we could run up with these small kids. These are the secrets. Yeah, these exactly. are the secrets we, that parents know, right? Absolutely. So we would get to see all the ice sculptures, which was really yeah. fun. So then we were driving home and, you know, there's always that quiet part in the car ride where everybody's just lost in their thoughts. Yeah. And all of a sudden, Allie from the back seat said, but how come we don't feel it? And I said, what are you talking about? And she said, the earth turning. How come we don't feel that? Which, of course, led to another conversation. And that afternoon, we went out midday to see that the sun was above and took in the sunset. So actually, it was the very next week that I wrote that song. And really, my goal was to kind of solidify our our place in space. Um, But there's a wonderful line in the last verse that is a tribute to my kids and my family, uh, where, where it says, we don't feel the turning but the yearning of the of the sun rising and so that that was a direct line to Ali's question about how come we don't feel it turning so it's been a wonderful it's been a wonderful project it's um on its way to becoming a children's book and you'll hear my kids voices in the background uh singing along with me in the chorus and i'm very excited that it's it's going to be going to the moon with um the arc mission project so you know, that happily, is the story of Earth yeah, song. and and happily, of course, when it goes to the moon, it doesn't take it away from us. We we still get to hear it too. Is it? And, absolutely, absolutely. And it, what a wonderful thing it is to capture in a song like that that notion of a family tradition that is about togetherness and enjoyment and things like that becoming a door on a field of knowledge. You know for for your children to be able to discover some of those things, ask those questions and receive those answers all within kind of the comfort of the family circle. That's that's a that's a marvelous thing. We're going to hear the tune Earth Song, of course, again, on its way to becoming a children's book and on its way to the moon. Here's Earth Song from Susan Reed. Circles around the sun each year Past days, weeks, and months Our birthdays we cheer Growing taller, faster, smarter, wiser The earth circles around the sun each year And the stars shine from the heavens Reaching as far, as far as can be And the stars Shine from the heavens 
She tilts and makes the seasons When we're tilting towards the sun Our summer has begun When we're leaning away Winter's frost is on its way The earth She tilts and makes the seasons And the stars shine from the heavens Reaching as far, as far as can be And the stars shine from the heavens The earth She tilts and makes the seasons circles 13 times a year we all know the same moon and hold it dear no matter where your home lies in peace we share the moon the moon circles 13 times a year and the stars shine from the heavens reaching as far as far as can be and the stars shine Circles 13 times a year The earth spins round Turning daytime into night We don't feel the turning But the yearning at the sight Of the sun rising As we start each day anew The earth spins daytime into night And the stars shine Susan, what a pleasure to have you with us today on The Appleseed. Thanks for giving us a peek behind the curtain at one of your wonderful songs. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to share a moment with Susan Reed talking about Earth Song. And uh, there's a lot more coming up on The Appleseed. In just a moment, you're going to hear a story called The Wise King of Uruk and the Foolish King of Erata, a very old story told for you by Judith Heinemann. And uh, that's coming up here on The Appleseed. I'm Sam Payne. You're listening to The Appleseed. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Appleseed. Here's Sam Payne. It's great to be with you on today's episode of The Appleseed. A moment ago, a great conversation with Susan Reed about her piece, Earth Song, a piece that's going to the moon, as it turns out. Up next, we got a story called The Wise King of Uruk and the Foolish King of Erata. It's from a collection of stories called The Magic Carpet, Stories and Songs from Mesopotamia and Ancient Egypt. The storyteller is Judith Heinemann. Here is uh, this very old tale that we're happy to bring you on the Appleseed. There was no goddess more beautiful, more powerful, and more terrible than Ishtar, queen of heaven, goddess of love and war. In her darker moods, she could bring down destruction, thunder, death. 
but she was also the goddess of love. Her affections changed without warning. Tammuz was a handsome young shepherd who was part man, part god. He fell passionately in love with Ishtar. He was known as the Green One, because wherever he walked, the grass would become lush and green beneath his feet, and the earth would bring forth fruits and crops. The birds and animals followed the sound of his sweet flute wherever he went. The people welcomed him and loved him dearly. He wooed Ishtar with many gifts. He brought her sweet cream and milk, overflowing from pails at his side. He presented her with fruits and grain. Finally, she accepted his offer of marriage. While they were happy, the earth was fruitful and abundant. Food and water were plentiful. But being a goddess of heaven and earth, and even having Tammuz's love, was not enough for Ishtar. Oh, she wanted still greater power. Why not rule over the dead as well? She mused. I know, I shall take over my older sister's realm. <laughs> Oh, the gloomy Ereshkigal, black-lipped queen of the underworld. Ishtar traveled on the road that is one way only. A dark, dismal, disease-breeding and horribly dusty place where Ereshkigal ruled. Kornugi, the underworld. To get to Kornugi, she went to the special place in Uruk where the gates of the underworld were located. She dressed in her finest gown and adorned herself with exquisite jewels. She knew the journey was dangerous, the journey to enter the dark house. The house which those who enter cannot leave, where there is no light, where the dust is their food and clay their bread. Just in case she were not allowed to return, she told her handmaiden, Ninshabur, Wait for me by the gates. If I do not return in three days, go to the city of Nippur and see the great god Enlil. Ask him to save me. If he refuses to help me, go to the city of Eridu and find Enki, god of wisdom, magic, and especially the waters of life. Plead with him to rescue me, and he will surely come. Ishtar arrived at the gates of Kornugi. The gatekeeper asked, who are you and what reason do you have for coming here? Oh, she quickly made up some excuse. You may not pass. Do you know who I am? Ishtar became furious that he didn't unlock the gates at once. She cursed. If you do not open the gates for me to come in, I shall smash the door and shatter the bolt. I shall smash the doorpost and overturn the doors. I shall raise the dead and they shall eat the living. The dead shall outnumber the living. The gatekeeper said, I shall report your words to Ereshkigal immediately. When Ereshkigal heard her sister wanted to see her, she became livid and trembled and spat. What can have brought her to my kingdom? What has incited her against me? Let her enter according to the ancient rites. Bring her before me. Let her bow low before me. Bring her to me humbled and powerless. The gatekeeper returned to the gates and told Ishtar, Ereshkigal says you may pass through the seven gates and seven walls to the underworld, but according to the ancient rites. 
Down, 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 down to the underworld. Down, 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 down to the underworld. At the first gate, the gatekeeper demanded her royal crown. Give up your crown and you may pass. Gatekeeper, why have you removed my royal crown? Give up your crown and you may pass, Horeshka Gel commands. At the second gate, he stripped off her pendant earrings. Give up your pendant earrings. Why have you taken away the rings in my ears? Give up your earrings and you may pass, Horeshka Gel commands. At the third gate, he removed her beaded necklace. Give up your beaded necklace. Why have you removed my necklace of beads? Give up your necklace and you may pass Horeshka Gel commands. At the fourth gate, he took off her toggle pin. Give up your beaded toggle pin. Gatekeeper, why have you taken my toggle pin? Give up your pin and you may pass Horeshka Gel commands. At the fifth gate, he grabbed her golden bracelets. Give up your golden bracelets. Gatekeeper, why have you taken away my bracelets of gold? Give up your bracelets and you may pass Horeshka Gel command. At the sixth gate, he untied her belt of birthstones. Give up your belt of birthstones. Why have you removed my belt of birthstones? Give up your belt and you may pass Horeshka Gel command. At the seventh and final gate, he demanded her proud garment. Give up your proud garment. Gatekeeper, why have you taken my proud garment? Give up your garment and you may pass Horeshka Gel commands. She came to her humbled and naked. Before Ishtar has a chance to speak, Horeshka Gal fixes her with the eye of death. And in an instant, Ishtar is dead. Horeshka Gal orders her ministers, Hang Ishtar's lifeless body on a peg upon the wall like a slab of rotting meat. <laughs> Her faithful servant, Ninshabur, waited at the gates for Ishtar's return. One day passed, and she did not return. A second day passed, and she did not return. A third day passed, and when she did not return, Ninshabur went to Enlil as instructed. Oh, I beg you for Ishtar's safe return. Let not the maid Ishtar be put to death in the netherworld. Let not your daughter be put to death. But he would not help. So her faithful servant, went to Enki, the trickster god of wisdom, magic, and the waters of life. As predicted, he was willing to help. Enki went down to Ereshkigal and said, O oh, queen of the underworld, my journey has been long and dusty. It has made me very thirsty. Could you give me a drink of water from the water skins? He cleverly asked. Ereshkigal had to show hospitality. She could not refuse. When Enki opened the water skin, he sprinkled some of it on Ishtar's hanging body. Instantly, she was brought back to life. Oh, you think you are so clever. Your troubles are far from over. My little sister, you may be alive, but you cannot leave unless you bring me a substitute to take your place for all eternity. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be sure, Ishtar, that you fulfill your promise, my seven demons will accompany you. And 
like leeches, they attach themselves to Ishtar, accompanying her back through the seven gates. Ishtar hurried up the dark path. At each gate, her adornments were returned to her. She donned her proud garment. She donned her proud garment. She tied her belt of birthstones. She tied her belt of birthstones. She attached her toggle she pin. She attached her toggle pin. And slipped on her bracelets. And slipped on her bracelets. She inserted her earrings. Inserted both her earrings. She fastened her beaded necklace. Fastened her beaded necklace. Finally, she adorned her head with her great crown. Adorned herself with her golden crown. Ishtar emerged from the underworld, restored to all her splendor and power. The demons tried to take the first messenger they met, but he had grieved for Ishtar and beseeched the gods to restore her to life. No, demons, you may not take him. The next messenger was wearing sackcloth and ashes and groveled humbly before her. She held the demons at bay. Then she came upon Tammuz, her husband, who was sitting on her golden throne, flaunting his finest outfit. He did not show any grief, nor did he seem to have missed her. You do not seem to have been troubled by my absence, Ishtar said. Hmm, perhaps he was glad to be rid of me for a while, she thought. In a rage, her love turned to hate. She summoned the demons. Take him! He shall serve as my ransom in the underworld. The demon seized him by the thighs. They struck him with knives. Oh, Shamash, Tammuz begged the sun god. Please save me. Turn me into a snake. Anything so I can escape. But it was too late. He was sent to the land of the dead. Down, 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 down to the underworld. Down, 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 Thomas was forced to go. Down, 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 down to the underworld. Down, 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 soon Ishtar would follow so. After the death of Tammuz, all growing things withered and died. The crops and grasses shriveled. The birds stopped their sweet song and the earth became parched and dry. A sadness came over the world. Husbands separated from their wives. No children were born, nor any new animals. Ishtar, you must bring back the shepherd god Tammuz, the bereft people cried. Ishtar regretted her fit of anger and remembered the love and pleasure of her youth. She beseeched Ereshkigal, Sister, I beg you, restore Tammuz to life. Ereshkigal heard what was happening above on earth and became alarmed. Too many people will die. My realm will be overcrowded and there won't be anyone left to make offerings for the gods or to me. So Ereshkigal agreed to let Tammuz return for one day each year during the summer months so that he and Ishtar could perform the sacred marriage rites and become man and wife as they did on their wedding day. When they were in each other's embraces once again, the dry season ended. The fertile rains replenished the earth, seeds stirred underground, and new sap ran in the trees and the world was renewed. Together, they reawakened the earth and the people 
rejoiced. Judith Heinemann with the wise king of Uruk and the foolish king of Arata. You can probably think of times, I know I can, when you have related to the wise king or the foolish king. Times when you've acted wisely or foolishly with the ones you love can sometimes make stories worth telling. And we hope you share those stories. And it's our pleasure to have brought you that tale. And we're going to wrap up today with a story told for you by a group of kids. This is a group of kids under the direction of storyteller and story teacher Kevin Cordy, who often works with kids in using stories to kind of explore the world. And this uh, is a lot of fun. If you love the classic nursery rhymes you read as a child or maybe still read now, and if you love mysteries and investigation, and if you love to have your funny bone tickled a little bit, then you're ready for this piece, Mysteries in Nursery Rhyme Land, told by the kids under the direction of storyteller Kevin Cordy, here on The Appleseed. Good evening, and welcome to Storytelling Action News. Tonight's top story, a little girl, a tiny spider, innocent or guilty. Here is Michelle Austin with that story. Jack and Jill went up the hill to fetch a pail of water. Jack fell down, broke his crown, while Jill came tumbling after. And when Jill tumbled down that hill, she hit a wall with a big smack. On top of that wall sat Humpty Dumpty. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. Jill cried for all the king's horses and all the king's men, but they just couldn't put Humpty together again. Off in the distance, they heard a piercing scream. They looked towards it. They couldn't see anything, but they knew that something out there needed to be rescued. So they looked down at Humpty and saw him in pieces and knew that they could not do anything for him. So they rode off on their horses in the direction of the scream. They soon came to a large tuffet. On top of this tuffet sat a bowl. And inside this bowl was a little tiny spider with a large tummy. The kingsman looked down inside and asked, Have you seen a damsel in distress today? Oh me, oh me, are you accusing me of doing such cruel things? I didn't mean it, I didn't mean any harm at all. You see little Miss Muffet, she was just sitting on her tuffet, eating her curds and whey, and I saw them and I was so hungry and they looked so delicious, so I just came down to ask her for a bite, and she took one look at me and she ran off screaming in that direction. The little spider pointed with quivering arms in the direction of an old shoe. The kingsmen got on their king's horses and went towards that shoe. But before they even reached the door, they heard screams and cries of children within. They went up to the door, and they knocked. But no one answered. So they knocked a little louder. But no one answered. So they knocked just a little bit louder. But still, no one answered. So all three kingsmen looked at one another, and they knew exactly what to do. They pounded on that door with all their might, and finally an old woman answered. Look here, look here, I have four babies in my arms right here, and I have many, many more children behind me, and I need to feed them their broth without any bread, whip them all soundly, and send them to bed. So please, kind sirs, be on your way. And she slammed the door in their faces before they could get a single word in. So the kingsmen 
peered off down the road to see what they could see. And they saw a field. In that field, they saw a tiny figure. And they knew, whatever that figure was, it would be able to help them. So they got on their king's horses, and they went off towards the field. When they got to the field, they noticed that it was little Bo Peep, and she was crying. Oh, my sheep, my sheep, I've lost my sheep, and I don't know where to find them. Leave them alone, and they'll come home, wagging their tails behind them. But that's what everybody's been telling me all day long, and I've been sitting right here all day long, and they haven't come home. Can you please help me find them, please? Little Bo Peep, we would help you find your sheep, but we're looking for little Miss Muffet right now. Have you seen her today? No, I haven't. But maybe she'd be in those crooked woods over there. They're really dark, they're really scary, and they're really crooked, and I would never go in there, but maybe she would. So the kingsmen took Little Bo Peep's advice and went to the crooked woods. And when they got there, they noticed that it was dark and scary, and they were a little hesitant to go in, but they knew that they had to find Little Miss Muffet and find out exactly what happened that morning. So they went in to the crooked woods, following a crooked path. They were surrounded by crooked trees, crooked animals, and crooked plants of all sorts. Before they knew it, they reached a crooked clearing. Inside that crooked clearing stood a crooked house. They went up to the crooked house, knocked on the crooked door, in a crooked way. An old, crooked man answered, who was holding a crooked cane. He had a crooked cat by his side, who was holding a crooked mouse in his mouth. Can I help you? Could you, please? We're looking for little Miss Muffet right now. Have you seen her today? You know, she's my granddaughter, but she's inside resting right now. You see, she was attacked by a spider. A spider? Oh, dear. That spider told us the wrong story. Did she tell you anything? You know, she did. You see, little Miss Muffet, she sat on her tuffet, eating her curds and whey. Along came a spider and sat down beside her and frightened Miss Muffet away. But little Miss Muffet just has this large fear of spiders. That's all. But you boys better be getting home now, because it's getting mighty dark out there, and you don't want to be a nursery I'm land at night, do you? The kingsmen recalled the stories they had heard when they were younger about the strange things that happened in nursery rhyme land at night, and they knew that they didn't want to see those strange things. So they got back on their horses, bid the old man farewell, and went out of those crooked woods as quickly as they could. And when they got out of there and got to the path that led to the castle, they noticed that it was getting darker in nursery rhyme land, and they saw the moon rising higher in the sky. And when it reached its highest point, they saw a cow jump right over it. They heard cats playing fiddles, dogs laughing to see such a sight. And then they saw a dish running away with a spoon. And this frightened the king's men. It frightened the king's horses. And those king's horses galloped faster than lightning back to the castle. And when they finally reached the castle, the king's men put the horses in the stables, went inside the castle gates and into the dining hall. And there was old King Cole. He was a merry old soul. A merry old soul was he. He called for his pipe. He called for his bowl. He called for his fiddlers, three. And every fiddler had a fiddle fine. 
a very fine fiddle, had he. And these fiddlers played beautiful music all night long, and everyone was singing and dancing and having a joyous time. So the kingsmen joined in with these festivities, and everyone was having a merry old time, until someone ran in screaming, Where is Thumpkin? Where is Thumpkin? The kingsmen looked around and saw a frantic woman screaming. They didn't know what to do, and they threw their arms in the air and said, Oh no, it's another mystery to be solved. Be sure to tune in tomorrow night for that story. Thank you for tuning in to Storytelling Action News for all of your storytelling news. Thank you and have a great night. Mystery in Nursery Rhyme Land, a story told for you by a group of kids under the direction of Kevin Cordy. What a pleasure to bring that little piece to you and to wrap up our hour with that today. It's been a fun hour. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Appleseed. Thanks for joining us for an hour of stories, music, and conversation made for you and your family and brought to you by The Appleseed. The show is a production of BYU Radio. We'll see you next time.